Oscar goes to. And the winner is. And the Oscar goes. To, the winner is. Oscar goes to. M M O W's Oscar race update. And we're back. Another Oscar race checkpoint for you guys to go into your weekend or end your weekend or fight off your Monday morning, which is on coming uh, with no stop. However you choose to use this information and what you do with it in your daily life is really up to you. Uh, this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm co-host Mike One. This is co-host Also Mike. Also Mike, that is a very strange and way too serious introduction. I don't know what to make of it, but uh, I'm Also Mike, yeah. We do this Sunday, August 18th, the 49th year and 364th day anniversary of the release of the Oscar-nominated for Best Director Film, Alice's Restaurant, which came out in this day, 1969. We have a lot of stuff to go over, as these Oscar race checkpoints usually have turned into. Uh, we think they're going to be fun, we think they're going to be light, and then all of a sudden we get bogged down with literally 15 pages of news to sort through and go over. So if you've not joined us before, just as a quick reminder, this is the Oscar race checkpoint show. This is our weekly variety show covering all things only Oscar and award season related. Uh, for the other movie news, the entertainment world, and the industry news stuff that doesn't apply to award season and award season adjacent, at least, you'll be finding that on Monday, tomorrow, during our weekly variety show, which covers all of that news. That is MMO Weekly. This is the Oscar Race Checkpoint, Michael, and we have some trailers for Oscar contending films that just dropped on us this week. So here's what I realized. It is a huge movie watching year for Also Mom. Also, also mom had Toy Story 4. She loves the Toy Story, yes. right? Also mom has the Downton Abbey movie yeah. coming out Excited about that. this uh, September. I believe it's September, right? She probably has a tattoo on her yes. arm by now. But also Little Women. Like, she loves the books. She loves all the other movies. Oh, does she? We got a Little Women trailer. I did show this to her on purpose. And she did already have a bunch of troll job uh, oh, she wasn't a fan? Well, she was a fan, but she's like, they changed this, they changed uh, that, yeah, they're yeah, changing yeah, this. Yeah. So she's, I, troll job's a hard, a hard word for it, but she definitely went at it a little bit. All right. So I'm curious. I'm curious if fans of this source material are going to love or hate you know, thumbs up, thumbs yeah, down. Yeah, I thought that this. this was just playing too true or not true enough to the source material. That will be interesting. And uh, is there a big swath of Little Women fans out there? Do you think? I do think. Yeah. I think there's All a right. lot. Well, your your mom was friends with a lot of teachers because she was a teacher. A lot of teachers gotta love this. Stuff. Is this something that was in school though? I never read this book. I never read book. it either, but I remember it being a, an option. Okay. For research papers. I see. So you All could right. you could have read it. Fair enough. Anyway, what are we talking about? The trailer for Little Women came Produc out this week. <laughs> production values, performances, these are epic. I mean, the scenery and cinematography, the production uh, design and costume design, the music and the editing, Mike, this is all big budget. This looks like it's big budget. Yeah, it does. This it does. Was, this I was beautiful. Co-sign everything you say, and I'm honing in on the performances myself. I loved all of them. I think this is just dripping with Sir Sharon and nominate me for Best Actress, damn it, again. Again? Uh, yeah. I mean, but she, when is she going to break through? How many times has she got to get nominated? You know, it might be this, because this is a very, to me, this is a very Saoirse Ronan Oscar-grabby trailer. It featured her a lot, and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean that in, like, the, the everything she's doing is an Oscar-caliber potential. That scene looks like it could have uh, that scene where she goes for the Oscar in it, and there's like four of those in this one trailer alone. So this could be the role, and we've seen what she is already capable of doing under the guidance of Greta Gerwig, who is the director of this iteration of Little Women, uh, those two teaming up again, once, like they did a couple years ago in Lady Bird. So 
I'm very excited. I'm much more excited for this version of Little Women than I have ever been for a version of Little Women. So I've, I've been steeled for a slower-paced film, mm -hmm. and here we go again with a fast-paced trailer for what I think is going to be a, a slower-paced movie. So I'm with you. After watching this trailer, I'm like, oh, yeah, we've seen how many Oscar movies like this over the years that we've enjoyed to a different extent. And, yeah, give give me all these stars doing movie star things. Like, Meryl Streep is doing movie star things in this trailer. Totally. Timothy Chalamet is doing movie star things. Things. I mean, how cool is he in this trailer? Meryl Streep and Laura Dern staring like looks at one another and sharing screens, gonna have dialogue together. It looks awesome. I am waiting for the big Laura Dern freakout scene in this movie. It'll I, be want, there. I, I don't know if it's there. I don't know the character. <laughs> My mother's yelling at the podcast right now, but Florence Pugh is giving a lot of looks. Yeah, she is. I mean, this is a loaded cast. Florence Pugh is like the fourth or fifth name on the list, and she was just the star of one of the biggest, you know, draws, or at least one of the most unique pictures of the summer in Midsummer. I do get the sinking feeling, though, at least, based on just speculation and based on tea leaf reading, I, I hope this isn't the entertainment industry and the Academy specifically looking at this picture and propelling it forward and putting it on a pedestal and being like, look, look, see, we don't have a problem coming up with women-helmed pictures and women-directed features. Look at this. Look at how great this one is. Now everyone can stop and leave us alone and turn around so we can go back to giving Brett Ratner more money for his next project. Oh, God. You know, like, I hope that doesn't happen, and it shouldn't happen. I hope this is judged strictly on its own merits. You went to a dark place, right? I can't then. help it, man. You're a little cynical very, these days, very. especially with the rest of the stories we have coming up. <laughs> I don't think that, but I do think there's a couple of red flags here because we get some big speeches, right? Mm -hmm. It it seems like we get the big awards movie speech, like you said with Sir Ronan, four times, right. and it's coming from her. And it's things that we agree with, but in the trailer structure, it comes off preachy. Will it come off preachy in the movie? It is, it's a preachy source material, is it? isn't it? No, you don't know that. I don't know that. I mean, I've, seen, movie, I've seen other movies like, of it. This movie could be about... How many things do it like the guess the plot? Like we could do a guess the plot episode, and we would never guess what this movie is about. This could be a movie about all these women who lose their legs, and then they're little. I don't think it's about little. that. And it's all that, that we don't know. What I it's remember about. seeing Little Women and a, a different movie in the early '90s, and sitting through like half of it. And of course, I was a young boy then. I was like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. Right. But this looks infinitely more entertaining than I remember that being. Absolutely, it's Montage City. You got to, everybody doing. And charming things. You know, I'm going to give Greta Gerwig and Meryl Streep. I think she's earned the benefit of the she's, doubt at this point. She's got Ms. a future in this Ms. business. Mrs. Streep. Yeah. But Gerwig after Lady Bird, that was a thoroughly yeah. entertaining movie. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to be in for this. Uh, same here. And I think if this one's going to contend for best picture, then I think it's one of those situations where I, I, I wonder which is which category will have more pull on the other when it comes to award season time with this, because everyone expects this to be a contender. Is the best picture candidacy of this going to pull Greta Gerwig up, or is Greta Gerwig's directorial efforts going to pull the best picture chances up? That'll be interesting to see once it comes out, too. But your call on Meryl Streep, though, I think that's right on. And that's a good call. Looks, looks like it, looks right? Like a good yeah. Call. Looks like a good call. Second trailer, Mike, is Dolomite is my name. I love Eddie Murphy so much. I grew up on his movies, on his comedy, and I, I even enjoyed many of his you know, roles in kids' movies. I kind of liked the Dr. Doolittle movies, watching those with my younger brothers. Yeah. I really liked the Shrek movies, of course. He did the family film thing for a while, for too long, for way too long. And I don't know why. He family film, money grab films. Yeah. You know, It seems like he was straying from the course there. So this is super charismatic in this trailer. Not that I'm going to 
criticize Eddie Murphy for going after money, by the way, but yeah. Right, but sorry. he's doing movie star things like yes, crazy, he is. too. He is. This was, I love this trailer. So the premise of this is basically Eddie Murphy playing a 1970s kind of down-on-his-luck actor who comes up with this character of Dolomite. We didn't know Dolomite. We weren't familiar with him at all when we were first covering this movie. Mm-hmm. We thought this was actually him playing a character named Dolomite who was a pimp. No, he's playing a character in a movie, an actual movie character named Dolomite, but he's the actor who also portrays the character of Dolomite within this picture as well. So he's playing this Dolomite character and building kind of his own black exploitation empire off the back of this character. Different movies, different films, different cinemas, uh, different looks, I guess, and different mediums that this character was portrayed into. Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes both, for me, look like they hit the Wayback Machine in this. Like, they're digging deep and pulling out some great stuff. I love that you got Craig Robinson. He's like the lounge singer. I love that you got Keegan-Michael Key as like the pro's pro actor. And they're all getting moments, right? Like, it's a big cast, and each of them, at least in this trailer alone, get their own. Even that, I don't know, I'm not familiar with that actress. I don't know what her name is. There's a ton of heart in this trailer, and it's mostly centered around her scene. Right. Like, we don't get to see people like me in the movies up on that screen, but I thank you for doing this because uh, of that fact. Right, and that's really cool. And like you said, Mike Mike Epps gets his own, he was yelling at the white people on screen on the comedy. Snoop Dogg, man. Yeah. Snoop Dogg is a suit in this, right? It looks like he's a producer or something i don't know what he is but i love the scene where they're watching the front page and Mm. they're like this is not funny right right hilarious (laughs) there's no black people in this and it's it seems like there's a lot in this script to go around there's enough for everyone to kind of get their own piece and get their own spotlight session it's a netflix movie Uh, we've kind of focused on it for award season we think it might have potential it could have legs and lord knows like we said eddie murphy is not all that far removed from contending from his latest oscar people think back you know you think of eddie murphy you think of raw you think of the stand-up specials but the guy was in the running for the support and the favorite for the supporting actor for dream girls about a decade ago so he's not that far gone from putting on an oscar caliber performance and yet we view him so highly, and he did so much so right. fast, so quick, and got Tower so famous. And yeah, and that, that's the other thing. It's like almost like Adam Sandler movies. Right. Like Adam Sandler's done some good films too. Like the Meyerowitz stories would be a good three-year stretch mm-hmm. for anybody. His his performance in that you can point to the, the last three years, and you're like, Adam Sandler's done good work. Right, but because he's done. Murder mystery and a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Jack and Jill. We get aggravated. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Tower Heist, Bowfinger, going all the way back. Yeah. Eddie Murphy's had some snickers. The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Yeah, mm. not great. Portrait of a Lady on Fire also came out. This is a big awards winner at Cannes. It did win the Best Screenplay Award at that film festival. This is a movie about a woman who needs to paint this other rich woman's portrait but can't isn't allowed to get close to her in a friendship or colloquial way. So strange, because we have Adele Heinell is playing this mysterious woman. She does not allow people to draw her face, Mm. I guess, for some reason, an artist to draw her face. I mean, she's a beautiful woman. I think that was the situation where she just didn't want to be captured on the canvas there. Yeah, And that's like this intriguing, no music opening 90 seconds to this trailer? There's like a two-minute trailer, two-and-a-half-minute trailer. The first minute of it is just background. It's just noise that the characters are making. No music, no soundtrack, no nothing. Very minimalist. And then you get, like, this explosion of style Mm -hmm. with all these surrealistic things. Like, there's a point where she has her dress on fire and she's just walking through... Which looked real, by the way. That looked practical. That looked like an actual actress was wearing an actual dress that they actually set on fire. But I've been a big fan of Adele Heinell for a while. I've I've seen a bunch... 
her in a bunch of French films. The Unknown Girl, not a great movie, but she plays this like amateur detective, which I really kind of sunk my teeth into a, a couple years ago. I really like that. Going all the way back, uh, look, Water Lilies is a tough watch. It's like a really tough watch. I haven't seen it yet. It is... A really well done movie, and Adele Heinell was awesome in it. And as so you a kid, think this could kid, potentially have more legs than just a screenplay or an international feature? Category. I think she's a better actress than is given credit for. I would love to see her come over here and blow up after this movie, or maybe she never wants to. But uh, bottom line is, she she should be more well known. I I believe. Absolutely loved one of the shots in this and the subtext of it. Those two, where the two women are basically one woman's facial profile covers up the profile of the other woman who doesn't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. That first woman leans back. We see the profile of the woman who doesn't want to be seen. The first woman leans forward to cover her face again. She leans back a second time. And the the woman who doesn't want to be seen and doesn't want anyone closer has since turned to face the other character. I thought that was really artistically done and really well done. Uh, yeah, that last 90 seconds, I had to watch it, rewatch it like four times because yeah. I just thought it was so cool. 90 seconds is too long. How long are these trailers? Anyway, no, I think, whatever. The last uh, stretch, the second half of it was really cool. So consider me super intrigued. I just wonder what is going to be this year's Roma or Cold War if we can bring those comps in from last year. Mike, I know it's always different every year. Some, a new trend will start this mm-hmm. year, or we'll call it a trend, and then we'll think it's a trend, but it's not a right. trend. But bottom line is we've had a, a more accepting academy for international films. Hell, they changed the name of the category to inter, Best right. International Film instead of Best Foreign Film. So Roma, Cold War, last year nominated in more than just that one category. Is it going to happen this year with Parasite? Well, it's going, to, it's going to be interesting. Parasite and this are the two that would seem to have the best chances, at least coming out of Cannes, because like I said, this one screenplay, Parasite, which we're going to talk about the trailer for next, ended up winning the Palm Dior over there at Cannes as well. Yeah. But they're both being distributed by Neon. I've touched on that before, and that's really where my focus is. I guess we'll get into Parasite now, but I just want to, uh, closing words of Portrait of a Lady on Fire in that first trailer. Great music once it actually started. Great artwork throughout this. I mean, yeah. I don't know who's actually pulling together these paintings that are in this uh, movie, but they look phenomenal. Uh, let's talk about Parasite's first trailer. So like the trailer states here, Mike, you think it was going to be one thing. I mean, we've read the premise of this movie, mm-hmm. you know, months ago. and it We've sounded covered this like, like two or three times already, yeah. Right. And it sounded like what? It sounded like these guys lived in a rural area. They were like Ranger Rick. They were like park <laughs> rangers or something. Yeah. And there was a crime that w- that happened to them. Like it was the most bizarre premise that I read for this. And yet we get a trailer where they're living in the city and they're basically infiltrating like a rich family's household. Yeah. Which is kind of fun and so you're getting like this class warfare kind of movie definitely seems to suggest some kind of classism and social structure and commentary on that for sure um but again i go back to so neon has the i guess in this case international being the u.s but the u.s rights Mm -hmm. for distribution of both parasite and portrait of a lady on fire they're both award winners at least as far as can goes we'll see how they go up to and through through award season are they better off positioning both these films as international feature contenders? Are they better off pushing Portrait of a Lady on Fire more towards the screenplay category and having hoping that Bong Joon-ho's picture here can dominate the international feature category? Do they push Bong Joon-ho's towards a best picture? Like, what would you do if you were in charge? How would you position these two movies if Neon has access to both of them? Judging by the last 15 years of international feature categories, mm-hmm. from the Globes to the Oscars, we always see can winners and big winners from can get nominated at the glows like to me like the bigger named foreign films that i put down on my have to watch list Mm -hmm. they always come up short when it when it comes to the academy it's almost like the documentary branch where they have like this royal rumble 
essentially, and they're voting like crazy from with all these films from all these different countries, it becomes so super competitive at the end of the day. And the popular films, without having done any statistics on them, mm-hmm. to me, seem to get nominated for Globes and not Oscars, and in many cases get, get snubbed at the Oscars. So if you were in charge of Neon right now, your hope would be to position Parasite for which category? Uh, I would position it for screenplay and position Parasite for picture. And I mean, yeah, you can th- okay. you know, throw your throw the dice in the international film category, yeah. but I don't know. I would I would try to get the stigma that this is one of the best films in the world this year. Mm-hmm. I think that would be smarter if, if, the, if you got the goods. Interesting. All right. To get back to the trailer, yeah. though, Mike, I mean, this seems like a, a a thriller, oh, yeah. and we get critical superlatives and graphics that I can only dream we'd ever be able to put out there for our podcast. Well, look, this is Bong Joon-ho, who's no stranger to this, right? Like, this is a guy that is a, a very high-caliber director. You have been a fan of his for a long time, time since yeah. well before this. I'm, I just don't have that much exposure to him. I'm very excited to take in Parasite for myself to see it, but I expect... Very, very high-quality things from this, based on just everything I've read. Honestly, we just did the Tarantino rewatch. Like, that would be an awesome rewatch series. Bong Joon-ho, that's, that's, really that's interesting. Yeah. Like, he's, right. every movie he's made is intriguing. Huh. And Memories of Murder, I just watched it a couple months back, and I was, I was awesome. And, uh, you know, The Host... It's loaded, yeah. loaded, loaded, loaded. Love, love Bong Joon-ho. Man, I have to consider that for the next offseason. And, yeah, if our audience demands it, or if we can somehow sell our audience on it, I would be <laughs> totally yeah. game for that. So next trailer, Mike, A Hidden Life. I think we have a new frontrunner for Best Cinematography. Yeah, so this, we could just give it now, right? I mean, Terrence Malick is alive. He made another movie, so he wins cinematography. I cannot believe... <laughs> it looks stunning. ...that he, like, went to where they filmed The Sound of Music, and he got these shots. I was so enamored in what I was seeing visually, I, like, forgot what the plot of this movie is supposed to be. <laughs> it's something about Nazis, but I don't know what this movie is about. <laughs> it just this. looks stunning. More than once there, Mike. No, but <laughs> Terrence Malick films have been hit and miss in the recent years, really more missed than hit. His films have been nominated four times for Best Cinematography over the years, winning one for Days of Heaven. He had like a sweet spot, but his sweet spot was like, all right, I'm putting a film out every eight years. You know, he was really taking his time. Metascore is a 76. That is comparable to his other successful films. So you would think, like, this is a good movie according to that swath of critics. So basically, he's going to be in that conversation, right? And he's using some of the textbook intentpole Terrence Malick thing. Like, we're focusing on a child's small foot in the hand of a larger adult. We're focusing on these wide-angle shots with these handheld cameras because he famously doesn't rely on tripods. It's very textbook Terrence Malicky that we're mm-hmm. seeing in this trailer, at least. Mm-hmm. August Deal's performance is, is really good. I wonder if could... Uh, you know, transcend kind of the technical marvel that people are going to look at this to be. I think Michael Nyquist uh, is a terrific yeah. actor as well. Loved all his work uh, in the original Dragon Tattoo series. He became a household name essentially after that. Sure. It's a little weird that they're all speaking English in Nazi Germany. It's very weird, I would say. You know, you could just... I mean, we, we just saw The Farewell. We loved right. it. We didn't worry about it at all. Give us subtitles. It's more authentic. We don't care. To make it a hit on a massive scale, I think maybe more people care, but I don't know. I wonder if we were to care if we saw this two years ago, too, after not being inundated with, you know, Tarantino just pulling off basically a film in German and French and having seen, being more familiar with First They Killed My Father and The Farewell and more international features like that. I mean, this is us getting closer to the Oscar-y stuff, and yeah, now we're maybe a little more snobbish about that type of thing. But it is strange. I mean, it's, it's not as strange when it's like the Romans 
when it's like Shakespeare, you know, doing right. the Romans, and you got the old British thespian right. MMO theater introduction voices there. <laughs> That's fine because we kind of we've, we've seen Shakespeare done right before by great British thespians. Fair point. Here, it's just a little weird. A little much for you to take. American Factory is something that we may be rolling out and, uh, and seeing soon on Netflix as far as a documentary feature contender. We don't know, but what do we think of this one, Mike? 76 Metascore, August 21st release, like you said, coming down the pike here. It currently doesn't show up on award circuits, you know, top 20 documentary contenders. Uh, Bob Dylan's uh, Rolling Thunder review, which I'll review in a minute Gosh, too <laughs> you're going to review it with different letters though than, too many than babies spelled out here yeah clayton davis's number one is is the bob dylan movie knock down the houses is number five so netflix has two other properties mm. that they're probably going to push ahead of this one if you know clayton's list is any indication but this was a rousing trailer you have this fascinating premise where asian factory consultants essentially come over to basically revive this general motors or was it ford anyway to revive this auto yeah i don't know which one it was but yeah in america i don't know where but you have this cultural story and you got this human interest story and you got this fish out of water story you got all this stuff going on yeah it looks like it's a blending of cultures, right? Mm. It's getting to know someone that you otherwise may not have anything to do with or may not know anything about. And once you get to know each other, oh my God, our differences aren't that big. Yeah, the families are becoming friends. <laughs> and it's really fun. And they're figuring shit out yeah. the, on the job. And they're, and they're getting this factory to where it needs I could to think be. of one presidential administration that may want to take notes about oh, things God. like this. But Mike, if we didn't understand that this was going to be an emotional journey... We get the boss soundtracking the end of this preview. That was a little much. It's a little much. That was a little much for me. But they're trying to especially sell, taken seriously. They're trying to sell a documentary about factory this America. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, yes, it's American workers. They're losing their jobs. They're trying to spread their wings, become more culturally enamored, and, and invested into other people's cultures. I get it. I don't need Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen in this trailer. <laughs> Speaking of Bob Dylan, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make the case. All right, so yeah, let's do this. We started this off on our first Oscar race checkpoint episode, which was a couple weeks ago, where we had Mike watching something that might be a borderline Oscar contender and trying to make the case for certain categories for it. We're going to bring that back today for you. He just hinted at it in our American Factory trailer review that we just did, so we'll do it right now. Rolling Thunder review, a Bob Dylan story. This is a film, a documentary done by Martin Scorsese. I imagine this is about uh, the Beatles. A 7.9 IMDb score, so 86 meta score, currently sits on a 93% certified fresh rotten tomato score. Mike, I imagine you're going to make the case for this to be considered for best documentary feature. When we go on video, I want to like have like empty water bottles, and if we make like a terrible dad joke, we should throw it at each other. Just tomatoes. Just yeah. Toma yeah, tomatoes. Let's see who's let's see who's the cleanest at the end of the episode. But we gotta we gotta abide by a code, an honor code, because otherwise you're a competitive bastard, I'm a competitive. Yeah, I was just gonna, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, I think, there. <laughs> That's not going to work. But, Mike, yeah, this is a, unlike any music documentary I've ever seen. It is something that kind of wins you over. At the beginning, it's just like, all right, Bob Dylan's saying some cryptic shit, and then we get a Bob Dylan performance from this Rolling Thunder Review concert series, which I think was in 75. Yeah, Review, R-E-V-U-E, -E, not as yes. in reviewing a paper or a movie. I liked all the side stories, I think, more. Like, they do side stories on the crewman, on the original documentarian. Scorsese's nowhere to be found, by the way. He's just behind it all. But you get a side story on Joni Mitchell. And he actually directed yeah. this, right? He did. Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, Hurricane Carter, Jack Kerouac. Scorsese, has, in his interviews, 
he's talked about all these people so often. So I, this was like right in his wheelhouse, and I don't know how he had time to do this and The Irishman. It's too long. It's probably 20 minutes too long, but who's really complaining because the reason why it's long is you get like a whole concert of Bob Dylan. Now, you're saying it's one of the best music documentaries? I'm saying it's very unique, and it's undeniably well-made, and it's it's strange, and it's fun. I, it took me, like, three sittings. And not, not because I, I was, like, getting bored, but it was just a lot. There's, like, a lot of texture to right. this. I don't know how else to describe it. It's strange. Okay. It's Would you consider strange. it's one of your top, let's say, three documentaries on the year you've seen so far? Yeah, but it's not ahead of Apollo 11 for me. It's not ahead of Knockdown the well, House. Well, the reason I'm asking that question is because we know with the documentary feature category, especially the last couple of years with the Academy, they don't tend to nominate the ones that are probably considered universally the best. They don't do what I, we want them to do. That's for damn sure. So let's talk about last year's category and stack this one up against the Free Solo Did Win. Uh, Hale County this morning, this evening, minded the gap of fathers and sons in RBG with the other four to make the cut famously. Of course, the Mr. Rogers documentary did not get nominated. How would you say this stacks up against those? Oh, God. I think this is better than a couple of those. It's not better than Free Solo. Like, that was a transformative experience. Free Solo was like a once in a real, real, maybe not lifetime, but a really, really long time. You get out of Free Solo and you're like, oh, you're like relieved. (laughs) I mean, it's one of those things where it really, it's a white knuckle Mm -hmm. experience. I think we were very emotional in the uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary and just watching that as much as we did studying that. What about a a personal profile, something like RBG? How would this stack up, you think? I know they're different. It's very different, but this is like a documentary art film. Like, he's trying shit. It's very strange. Hmm. Okay. It's, very, it's not, you know, I've seen Stranger. Like, you go, you can go full art film right. with a documentary, and it's just really bizarre, like Bob Lazar. Close-up of someone's lips as they're eating cake with a mustache and saying Finn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl Hannah made a movie a while back about folk singers, and that was basically it. It's, oh, not, a doc- it's not a documentary, but... <laughs> now, <laughs> the Bob Lazar, as I started to mm-hmm. say, it rhyming somehow. The Bob Lazar <laughs> Alien Area 51 documentary that I'm going to review on MMOW. That's a little weirder okay that's a little strangely enough that's more of an art film than this one i'd say but this is like you're like wow that's some really cryptic shit and it actually makes sense after you show me all of this bob dylan music all right so it's 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 something that i think cinephiles are gonna go gaga over it's not necessarily my wheelhouse but it's just undeniably well made but right now Yes or no? Is it in your best documentary feature category for the uh, for the I'm also the, Mike Oscars? Look, am I rooting for it to be there? No, I'm I'm rooting for it to get. Uh, I'm rooting for the fact that we have Apollo Eleven. I really want to see Maiden. It was something we didn't see. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting for uh, Knock Down the House. I would love to see three more movies that I really love box this one out but i don't know it's very unique okay fair enough let us know what you think if you have seen rolling thunder review of bob dylan's story by martin scorsese and if you do think that it belongs in the documentary feature category for this year if you think you've already seen five documentaries better we want to hear that from you too listen cards on the table guys we kind of thought this would be it this would be the close to end of the episode this week as of a couple days ago because there just wasn't that much news and information out there and then it's just the floodgates opened <laughs> floodgates open we were planning like our 
our new segments. We yeah. have all these audience interaction stuff we want to do. Get yeah. you guys involved. We have three or four segments, and then we get all these trailers and all this news, and it just fills up each one of these episodes. And this is like the off season. What yeah. is this? this might be the show. We might have to do two Oscar shows a week for our, <laughs> our normal segments, or maybe those normal segments. At some point, season. we're just going to be a daily video news show. <laughs> just be behind a desk Throwing with ragged ties, water bottles, and tomatoes at each other. <laughs> so, Mike, let the controversies continue. Yeah, controversies and quote as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Tarantino jabs back at the Bruce Lee scene controversy. This was an interesting story. Bruce Lee's daughter has come out and told him to shut up about it. She's been very aggravated. We had a, uh, a crushing article from Bruce Lee's friend, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. How do you want to take this, Mike? Because I know you got some like an opening statement here. Yeah, look, I mean, we passed comments on this a couple weeks ago. I don't remember if it was this or it was MMO right. Weekly, but one of the things covering Tarantino we did, we passed comment on this, and Bruce Lee's daughter has been upset for a while, and she's only intensified her aggravation at how her father was portrayed because she felt that the audience was laughing at her father and the portrayal of him. By to it. be fair, look, the media can instigate. They've been known to do so. What a statement. Okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're hound dogs for a reason, watchdogs for a reason. So uh, give, give me the opening statement here then, Mike. I think a lot of Tarantino's controversies, and we would know at this point, having done the work that we did on that Tarantino rewatch yeah. series and covering his work behind the scenes and the stuff he got involved in, a lot of his controversies, a, a lot of them are well-earned, unfortunately, yes. uh, due to his detriment. I mean, he is a very polarizing figure. He does have a big ego on him. He does get involved with certain people, maybe unforeseen to him at the time, that go on to do awful things. A lot of his controversies are legitimate. Bruce Lee, in my opinion, based on what I have seen of the man portrayed only through media and entertainment over the years, by standards of 2019 arrogance to me, in my opinion, again, this is all I can only speak for myself, but I think Bruce Lee could come off as arrogant. And I'm not saying it's not a well-earned arrogance. It's not a well-earned, great, huge confidence that he has because he is a highly successful and a, uh, this awesome martial artist and this awesome cultural icon and he's he is all of these things so he deserves to have maybe a slight arrogance about him but if you go through life spouting off these quotes talking like you're all-knowing and trying to tell people the way to be and way to like live their lives in in peaceful zen you might come off as arrogant to some people so here's the thing like if he had his 50 times in his life where he was an arrogant sob if that's true mm -hmm. we don't know we kind of can watch videos, but we, you really don't know. No, like, we don't know the man at all. You're right. If he was, he can still be so many other things. Like, if he had, like, we make fun of, I make fun of you at times for being an egomaniac on this podcast a yeah. hundred times. Yeah. And you make fun of me for different things. <laughs> that doesn't mean we paint with these broad brushstrokes, black and white, and you are therefore an arrogant jerk yeah, but because and, and you're always an arrogant jerk. Now, I understand what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is saying, and he's right, right with the premise of his article that he wrote for The Hollywood Reporter, and he basically said that when you feature a deceased character based on a real person, you can tarnish their legacy and it really could hurt the, the people who survive. It could hurt his legacy in general because sure. of the, 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 uh, the microphone that you have. Now, we've argued, number one, that this particular portrayal is more nuanced than people... 
give a credit. It's in the movie, for Christ's sake. I mean, you're saying it's not like he wanted to portray to paint with one brush or portray him as only arrogant. He's not only portrayed as arrogant. In this movie itself, there's scenes where he is training of his own accord. He's training Sharon Tate. Yep. He's training Jay Sebring. He's yep. beaming with pride when he sees that Tate's getting it and can, and can deliver these moves very well. And he's he's an friendly. Ally. He's right. an ally of our favorite human being, portrayed in that movie Sharon Tate he's an ally right. to that character so by association if a I think he is multifaceted any character that's allied with her is someone that we oh my god that doesn't work at all because Roman Polanski was married to her <laughs> fuck I thought that was a good argument it's kind of a, it's kind of true though right it's still true that the fact that she's allied uh, with Bruce Lee is points for Bruce Lee. The fact that you get the end of that or the beginning of that scene before he gets into the fight I, with Brad Pitt. Well, I'm not giving away. No, spoilers, I get I get the point you're making, but, but I would, he's I would well go, liked. I would go the even crew. further in yeah. saying that it didn't matter whether it's Tate or anyone. It's, it just shows that he's capable of being a friendly person, being a caring person. Showing that he gives a crap when somebody is actually learning something that he's teaching them totally. and imparting on the wisdom he's imparting on them. So, again, I, I I do think this is a little overblown. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's point that he was going on, you know, all respect to him as one of the again a cultural icon, a leader. And, and he's a very smart leader, and he always has been. He's right. not been afraid to speak his mind over his career and over his life. And he said he loves Tarantino too, right, right out, out of the gate. But he made this point that there's been so many times he went out with Bruce Lee that were knuckleheads challenged him to a fight, and Bruce Lee turned him down because he. That doesn't, that doesn't disprove. It also didn't happen in this movie. But That's it, not what happened. It doesn't disprove what happened here. Right. But the bottom line is, and it, it it doesn't mean Bruce Lee couldn't be arrogant at times, and he couldn't be like you know really low key and, and humble at times. That like, can be more than one thing. There's dimensions for characters and movies, and that is a microcosm of a real person, Mike. You yeah, can have a agree, person with a hundred different dimensions in real life, have three dimensions in a movie, which is a piece of art, which is just a, this little small version. And of to that. Tarantino's credit. He shows him more than just one arrogant dimension. He goes out of his way to include those scenes, I think. He didn't need to include the scenes of Bruce Lee being a mentor and training both, not only Sharon Tate, but also Jay Sebring and just hanging out on a random Saturday with him. As we know from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he didn't need to put a lot of those scenes in there. He wanted to right. do so. Look, I think that Bruce Lee does come off. The character of Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes off as a bit of an ass. Comes off as an arrogant in guy. In that scene, absolutely. He is made to look a bit of a fool yeah. in that scene. I don't disagree because with that. Because he gets, you know, he gets the worst of that fight. Now. I would argue with he gets the worst of it. Because he still, he, the, he puts he puts Cliff on his butt just as right. much as Cliff puts him on his butt. Yeah, I think people come away and he gets. Fine. I don't know. But bottom line is, we have movies that are tributes to Bruce Lee out there. So I think I think this whole controversy underestimates us as viewers. I agree. And it underestimates you as an audience yeah. that we can't realize that everybody is complex. Everybody has their moods, has their bad right. days, has their good days, and everybody can be multiple things. Like Bruce Lee could have been an arrogant guy at times. He is said... Uh, from Tarantino. Now, I didn't research this. I don't know if you did. But Tarantino said, Bruce Lee said those things. I, I've researched his biographies. He has said these things. Yeah, it's said, in black and did, white. He said he did in his stories. He said his wife was also on the record saying these his things. His wife so. was on the record saying that he could beat up Muhammad Ali. Right. And he was on the record and saying he could beat up Muhammad Ali. And these things were said. 
And if that's a fact, then, all right, then you can argue that, all right, is it, is it worth it, Quentin, to besmirch his legacy because the legacy is so good? Is it worth doing that because of this controversy? But is he doing that? You know, I mean, I, I would just hate, I mean, I would hate, there's going to be plenty of people out there that want are desperate to have a reason to talk down about a Tarantino movie anyway. Right. And I would hate for this controversy to get enough legs to be the reason that it's not given its fair due at yeah. um, awards time. With that being said, I totally understand Bruce Lee's daughter. I don't want sure. to say I understand, no, but, but here's the thing. like my You're grandpa, protective of your family members, right. obviously. My grandpa died a couple years ago, and if like, an of auxiliary, auxiliary member of my family says something bad about my grandfather, of I was very close with him, and I knew he had a lot of his negatives. If somebody I like immediately get like the surge of anger, right? Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's human. Happen. It's human it's nature. Human nature. It's very that emotional response. I can't imagine. You know, we've been blessed that we haven't lost people right. super close to us. If, if, you know, you speak well of the dead. You you honor the dead. To, to if it's someone that close to you, of course you're gonna. And then if you got a hounding press in your face right. about it, then yeah, you're probably not. Gonna I say also I, something just diplomatic. You know, just as another ripple of this controversy coming out, I, I don't like what it's done to. To Mike Moe, has he? He's gone and had to go on Twitter. The man that portrayed the Bruce Lee character, yeah. and he's had to pretty much defend, you know, chasing his dream and going after this. And I thought it was a great performance. He jumped off the screen to me. I mean, it's, I thought it was a, a terrific performance. It's a one-shot take. It, it, it's a high degree of difficulty take with a stunt at the end of it. Mike Moe is uh, is someone who really could have broke out as a star from this. And now he's kind of got to feel bad. I, I, I just think it's unfair to him too. I mean, there's a lot of different angles to this. I understand that, and you're absolutely right. She probably does have. Every Every reason to be overprotective of her father, of course. Who wouldn't be? So let's look at different examples of something like this. You know, Rocket Man trashed many of Elton John's former friends, most of his family, and his business partners, with the exception of one character in that movie. Mm-hmm. And that is that is un- inarguable. Mm-hmm. Inarguable. Yeah. Th- those are frothing at the mouth caricatures of people. Right. Those aren't characters. Those aren't rounded at all. We love Elton John. We don't give him much shit about this. We can criticize the movie for being, you know, a little black and white there, but we we weren't in his life. We don't know what's the truth of this is. We kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. He could be unfairly portraying these characters. We don't know that. And we had a problem with how one note they kind of were, at least some of them. Yeah. I mean, we, we did that in our review. That's what, We took points off the movie for that. When you're showing them as so painfully one note, and it's, I mean, it's even more of a reason we're arguing that Tarantino did not do that. We don't think he did anyway. The families of those people aren't coming out, speaking out against this now. Selma, really terrific film about Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. There's like a major controversy about a certain fault that he had Mm -hmm. that is documented. It's a kind of a conspiracy theory, or is it? I mean, he's so beloved and celebrated today, and rightly so, Mike. But this is like a negative that, you know, you can think about him in a whole different light to a degree sure. for some people for Duh. us i don't care right i don't think it matters I don't either. if he if he did that no. i don't think i mean is that is it great should he be doing that no i don't think that's should take down a person but ava duvernay is going to do her research and going to show us around a character and that's smart filmmaking yeah is that artistic license was it true that's kind of the question there now, now last year we took the side of the shirley family because we had such a bad taste in our mouth after they came out and spoke up against all like we thought ham-handed ways in which Green Book totally mischaracterized the Don Shirley character 
as being someone who was out of touch with his culture. And they had all these formulaic things that the movie was doing. Learning from his white bodyguard how to be black, essentially. I mean, that's kind of one of the messages of the movies, yeah. White lies, I guess pun intended, I guess. And Mahershala made a public apology to them. Yeah. And he obviously felt like he was in the wrong. Or at least, like, the, the, the way the screen, that character was written was not... Uh, true to life and not true to actually what the actual character of, or the actual person, I should say, of Dr. Don Shirley represented or did in his life. So we don't have that here, right? I don't think we have that here. Especially when Tarantino's like citing like the real quotes. And especially you know? when you're in the movie for a grand total of five minutes. Like this wasn't the Bruce Lee movie. No. You know, I mean, he was a side character of side characters that got more than one scene to show different aspects of him being a side character. Now, what would I argue at the end of the day? Was this worth it, Quentin? Was this worth it? at the? If if this holds you back from a best picture because you just had to get your feathers ruffled by the fact that you read in a documentary that Bruce Lee thought he could take Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And it was and was arrogant about it. And you read that somewhere, and therefore you had to put Bruce Lee getting his ass whooped by, you know, this this Brad Pitt character. <laughs> it just did so much for the Cliff character without him having to do anything, though. I agree. I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm just I, saying, was it is it worth it at the end of the day? I know. I yeah, it's a good point. If it costs him the Oscar, obviously, we're going to find out. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. So that's the Tarantino-Bruce Lee conversation for now. We'll, we'll have to monitor it. The next controversy, Mike, and this has <laughs> yeah. been building for a while. Yeah. And it kind of stems from other stuff we've been talking about with Fox and Disney. Disney fears that Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit is too edgy for the studio image. What do you think, Mike? Gee, you think? <laughs> what, a, what a going out on a limb there. So this, and a follow-up story, these are all kind of blending into one story together, but all it all has to do with how Disney is basically treating... Not only their own future going forward, but mostly how they're handling these Fox properties that they absorbed from this acquisition. You no know, shit that Taika Waititi's He's in a, Jojo a Rabbit outfit. is He's in a Hitler outfit. It is in Nazi Germany, and he's doing goofy things. And he's basically the imaginary friend of this little kid who is in like a Hitler youth camp. Yeah. It's strange because I I don't understand why they're all speaking English with an Australian with Australian and New Zealand accents. I don't understand that much, but but it's another one of the Fox properties that Disney acquired that they're probably. Not happy about, may not endorse. This is your fault. Defend yourself. It's an anti-hate satire. Now, of course, you're you're absolutely right. This should not be a Walt Disney picture. But I don't understand why the Disney suits are upset with this because it's going to go under the Fox searchlight label. It's not exactly. It's not a Disney picture. They're going to release it as a Fox picture. And Disney's had all these other, you know, arms of their company. And Down and Dirty Pictures, that's one of many books that I'm sure you... And you bottom line, you could just look on Box Office Mojo. Disney has owned many production companies that have produced rated R content. I remember that kids, they didn't, they wouldn't want to buy kids from Harmony Corrine because it was, you know, way too edgy for them, blah, blah, blah. I still don't get mad at them for Dark Phoenix. I'm not against you're, the fact You're that holding tight to that freaking Dark Phoenix example. And that's just, it's an example. It's not... True to life. It's just a foreboding because things like this could happen if they keep blaming Dark Phoenix. They're dumb. If Look, bottom line is, this movie, is it good? We don't know. 
Like this we movie know, could right. not work. Yeah, I mean, we we've, we've talked about red flags with this movie for a while. The trailer was strange. Yeah. And I love I love Taika Waititi yeah. movies. I love all of his movies. I'm a huge fan. I can't wait to see this. I don't know if this movie's going to work. But if it does work, if it is a good movie, and if they do bury it, then yeah, I'm going to come over to your side and, and say, you know, Disney is screwed up here. No question. Because this should be a movie that more people get to see, and this should be a movie that you push for awards. This should be a movie, if, if it seems to be the satire of what it's a satire for, that, that makes some ways in the zeitgeist. Goes along with the next story as well. It's an article of Variety from Matt Donnelly talking, the, the headline of it is, Fox Faces Pressure at Disney as Flops Mount. So this was a crazy story, wasn't it? Uh, again, I still stand by my agreement. You're such an apologist. With just you, you don't throw good money after bad marketing lousy films. Okay, but there's not many studios anymore that can afford to make flops. Disney is one of them. If you don't put out some flops for original properties, you're not going to know what works. Mike, it's all about the audience at the end of the day. Right, I agree. If the audience goes to an original property and it sucks and it's so bad and and they're not going to go see the next one. Like, who wants to But see not every original property is going to be a hit. You have to have flops. It's a necessary evil. But if you are Disney and you know it's terrible, why would you just... Uh, Expose yourself to la- that level of vitriol from your audience. You gotta protect. You gotta look because out for that's your not what they're concerned about. They, um, they don't give a shit about the audience, Mike. That's they're exact- not. No, no it's not. They're not exactly concerned about the audience they whatsoever. Know their they they're know concerned their about making money. That's what they're concerned about. That is cynical. It's God not damn. cynical. It's true. Mike, they, they care about they're making money. If if they didn't care about making money, they wouldn't have just slashed these fifty million dollars. Agree. Of, I thoroughly disagree. Properties in production from Fox they, already. Their, their main tent poles are so fan servicey. It's not even funny. It's fan servicey to the point where even their biggest hits from the nineties when it's then why are they blaming everything all these on animation Fox. reanimation? Then why are they blaming the Disney stock price going down strictly on that Fox? That is a Bob they're going Iger. To Operate on a $900 million operating loss for Disney Plus, and yet it's the $150 million that Dark Phoenix lost, and the the art of racing in the rain, how it only debuted to an $8 million box office. That's the reason that we're that our stock is suffering. I read in this article that there's a lot of reasons for why the stock is suffering. Their theme park attendance had gone down. But you don't hear about that, Mike. That's part of my argument. You don't hear about the theme park attendance going down. All right, fine. But I'm not going to damn the whole company because Bob Iger has to posture in front of his shareholders. If you're not going to tell... You have to tell your truth to this. Those are the only people you have to tell the truth to. That's not posturing. This is what this company believes. Well, it's true that they're hemorrhaging money, buying Fox... And then these movies underperforming. They're they, hemorrhaging money. They have Look made, at all the flops. They, they've made $800 million. They've made enough profit this year off of just films just this year to already pretty much offset the operating loss of $900 million they're going to claim from Disney Pluses. They know they're going to They've made $800 million coming. in profit. They've made $20 billion of revenue off film. Mm-hmm. But it's the 150 million that Dark Phoenix lost them. That's a whole big deal that we can't get past. Look, you're pointing; they're pointing to obvious examples. Now, is all right, fine. Let's. I'll agree with you on the Bob Iger quote. Like that's. Is that is that right of him to do that? Of course not. Bottom line is, 
I don't want them to push shitty movies on us because I look at a Disney brand movie and I know there's a certain level of quality for most of these films. And, and because ninety percent of them anymore are franchise pictures. Or I mean, yes, you're not wrong in anything you're saying, but it's playing into the idea that the original property is dying, especially the mid to high budget original property. You're correlating original properties and their success with the fact that Dark Phoenix, which is not an original no, property, no, 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 no. is is it, it I'm not. flopped. I'm not. What are you saying? I'm saying that because Dark Phoenix enables Disney to say, look at how bad these Fox properties are doing. Dark Phoenix, Art of Racing in the Rain, I which just is think that's a, a joke. That I think that's a big jump. To say that Fox is you don't more think you're not as problems. cynical thinking as I am. I Disney has said they they've leaked they don't have interest in anything. The Mouse Guard they killed immediately the day they acquired Fox. They killed the Mouse Guard because it was a hundred million dollar original property and they only care about franchise pictures. They are now one of the only production companies and studios that can afford to put a hundred million dollars into an original property and survive its loss. Annapurna can't do that anymore. We've seen that these well, other Annapurna, houses can't do it. Annapurna has its own. I understand it's a different issue, but it's an example. There's not a lot of studios yeah. that can do this. Disney can. And if you're going to invest in original properties, you have to be willing to eat some loss. You have to be willing to have some flops. You can't just say, well, these Fox properties flop. Yeah. Our hands are up. I'm we can't saying, invest anymore. Let's go back to making Frozen 3. When you know it's a flop. I don't disagree with that mindset. You don't You don't yeah. put good money after bad. But I don't think... And they Look, anybody... I, watch Dark Phoenix and tell me... I don't watch think... Watch 10 no, minutes I of Dark Phoenix I agree. and then tell me it's not a flop. But I don't think that's why they didn't put money after it. I don't. I do. Right. I, I just think they're smart enough not to throw sh all their money... Not to put... I wouldn't put a cent into that movie. Doesn't the argument... They cut their losses with Doesn't the argument that Fox flops and we need to interject... We need to cut more Fox numbers and we need to cut more Fox jobs and more Fox properties work more if things like Dark Phoenix and Art of Racing in the Rain and Ad Astra fail miserably? I haven't seen all these movies. I, I just... Like, Dark Phoenix is the one that stands out to me. I think there was a couple more that I didn't like. Uh, Stuber is one that I kind of wanted to Another see one, yep. that I didn't see, but there was a flop. I would have loved to see this acquisition take place last year when Deadpool 2 made something like 30% of Fox's revenue and Bohemian Rhapsody made a bajillion dollars under Fox's umbrella. I would have mm -hmm. loved to see this, this acquisition go down when Fox was actually making money off these properties... Not to say that they can't again, but it's just it's such a convenient time for Disney to Bohemian have this narrative. Rhapsody, overall, like thumb up, thumb down. It's a thumb up movie. It's a yeah. good experience. Oh, I don't. I'm not. Movie. Of course, I'm not. We didn't think with it that. was an Oscar movie at, at that level, but we enjoyed ourselves at that movie. If that movie wasn't a, a, a five time, I get Oscar your nominee. argument that you have to. You want. You only want good movies. I get that, <laughs> but it's not possible without some bad ones. And you don't have many companies left because Disney is ensuring you don't have many companies left to make bad movies and be able to survive the hit. And it's it's even I just more think it's of a, a different argument when they've acquired all these movies that already are finished or that they're in development. They understand. So why the, not the get people. money out? Like why not just release New Mutants and get money that you can out of it, even if it sucks? New Mutants couldn't have been made for more than what thirty million dollars. Again, I it's think a horror it, movie. It does hurt the brand when you put a, a big stinking turd out there. And Dark Phoenix, if there was another X-Men with that cast, with that filmmaker, like, do I want to see another Leech movie? No. Do I want to see That's another... That's fair. If, if, that, if you said they were all going to make another movie, 
who what would that make at the movie theaters and, and let's be honest after apocalypse dark phoenix was not going to make any money anyway that hurt it I don't, I don't, again, Dumbo I don't disagree. Two, Dumbo 2 would not do well. I'm talking more about the approach in that they can't, they're not even considering doing original properties now. And again, I know Dark Phoenix is an original been, property. That's been their MO for a long time. That's why they have all these spinoff companies. That's why they signed But Fox now over. they're making an art, they're building up ammunition to say, to have the argument that, look, it doesn't work anyway. Let's just make Deadpool 3 through 10 instead. Yeah, but they know it works to an extent. They just know it's more of a gamble. I mean, once upon a time in Hollywood's going to get the worldwide why did the mouse guard team. get killed and it's look mouse guard could be good it could be not right that's you what you know. can say about any original you movie mike know, that's the I, point I'm, what i'm saying that's the is, point mouse guard was probably an overbloated cost for pe- filmmakers and stewards of that product maybe that they did not trust maybe the people the, everything that they so you're only gonna make failing. movies that you trust and the only movies you trust are they franchise trust pictures people. and the only <laughs> Who only make franchise films? And yet, Pixar <laughs> can make Onward, and Pixar can make original films. Pixar original makes Pixar stories. movies. They They're like Tarantino. Pixar. They're a They're brand like, unto themselves. Whatever you want to do, make it. And, and but that's an original property. From but Pixar. it's but it's pick it, that's cheat. Yes, you're right. But it's cheating. It's not an original. Like we're not going to have the live action Brad Pitt drama from gonna Pixar. We're going to get more quote unquote indie film original properties. We're going to get those from Netflix. We're going to get those from different places. There's there's going to be an indie film revolution. Let me prophesy for a moment here, Michael. There's going to be an indie film revolution again because of the technology. Everybody's going to be able to make a movie in five or ten years if they can't already. You're going to see artists pop up out of everywhere. It's going to be like the garage band. It's, it's basically going to be like the music industry has become, where everybody goes into their own garage and forms their own band. And that's why we got 100,000 bands, and they're all able to exhibit and make enough money to survive. This is coming. So as, for as much content as we have out there, and for as much content consumers as we have out there, there's another indie film renaissance it is on the horizon. Is it going to be in the theater going experience? I don't know, but it's going to be. And does Disney have to be in charge of that? I don't know. I, we just looked at their at the, at the leading studios in the world. AT&T is number one. Then you have Disney number two. Netflix is four, I think. There, you can go down to Sony's five. And then you have this new uh, Viacom CBS thing that's going to be six. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. If you have... A bunch of companies, and yeah, they're they're dedicating more money to uh, franchise properties, which is probably smarter business at the end of the day because it's less risky. You would think. Then again, the sequelitis. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> Netflix, all these, there's going to be a plenty of uh, of indie filmmakers making movies coming up. It's it's happening. That's great. Those indie filmmakers don't aren't going to put a hundred million dollars into an original property. What I'm saying. That's is, what I'm saying. Dis, if Disney gets hold of an uh, original property. They could buy it and distribute it. They don't have. They could do it under Fox Searchlight. They don't have to do it under themselves. If they don't but want it, not let, somebody do it else, Mike. let somebody this else. This is proof they're not. And there's not somebody else out there. They're killing these somebody else's. Well, the farewell got got a got a release, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got a release, and you know those are just two recent ones. So I, I don't. I'm not as cynical about it as you. Are. I don't. And I don't. I don't jump to conclusions. As much that you loved Hillary too, corporate apologist. What do you mean? Talk about you're, you're a corporate apologist. You love big businesses. You have faith in them. They're all evil. They no, all suck. I don't. And yes, why you do you didn't pay that's me? That's exactly. That's why you're defending Disney. You spent forty minutes defending Disney. I think Disney <laughs> is a, is absolutely.
absolutely uh, fucking right uh, to bury Dark Phoenix and st- stick it straight through its That's not the argument. That's not the argument. The art of racing in the rain, kill it. D- <laughs> give, give it the bare minimum. If these uh, movies suck, then don't put money behind it. Let them go out there and suck, and the people who love sucky movies will go see them, and nobody else. Like, I am glad that I am not going to see these movies, for the most part. I know that they suck. I know that the marketing's terrible. I know that the tomato store is terrible. I know that Disney's speaking out against them. I know that Disney's blaming them. They're like, it's just do a good cover that your ass thing because I I know that they didn't shepherd them. So I, you know, I look yeah, at you the only Disney want Disney brand. properties. I look at the Disney <laughs> brand and I say, I come off and say, thinking they're not as tarnished as every as they could have been if they put because this they don't the take chances. That's the whole point. Uh, they are. It's okay if they don't take chances if there's other people out there who will, but there's not, especially look, not for big budgets. I just read a book about how Disney's bought the Sixth Sense and released the Sixth Sense. So they, they had, they've had arms, they've had independent arms that had smaller studio arms of their company for decades. And if they don't like an original property that somebody else is going to make, they can, they have the power to kill it too. That's not a good thing. We don't need an overlord. watching these movies. And we don't movies need a big suck, movie overlord like this. Look, I'm saying if the movies suck, then bury them. If the movies are good, then give it to me. This episode is going to be 18 hours yes. long. Talk yeah. about Toronto International Film Festival, please. Where the fuck are we? <laughs> uh, they added the Aeronauts, Lucy in the Sky. <laughs> can, you, can we imagine if we just take a tone like this for this? <laughs> uh, Tom Harper has a story credit. Lucy in the Sky has Natalie Portman in it. And I like, Michael? yeah, I, I like Tiff. There's this, <laughs> stories like this give me hope about the movie industry as opposed to the dread we just went through the last half hour. But uh, Toronto, I like, I like Toronto every year. They seem to have the most decent mix of like actual awards Great contenders mix. and blockbuster films as long as those still exist before Disney kills them all um, and like Halloween debuted there last year oh this is it the rest <laughs> of the fucking episode the rest of the week Halloween debuted there last year we haven't really talked about Aeronauts uh, here's the plot pilot Amelia Wren played by Felicity Jones and scientist James Glacier Eddie Redmayne find themselves in an epic fight for survival while attempting to make discoveries in a hot air balloon this is not something we've talked about before I, I, that's all I know about it. So I'm in. I think those are two great actors, and yeah. let's get a movie about aeronautics. And I'm a little f- afraid of hot air balloons. Like that's my. So am I. I'm terrified of them. Like just being in a hot air balloon and it never comes down. Yeah, like, or it just keeps going, going up. Space. Yeah, that's Fuck my. That. that is my nightmare. That's why the end of Mary Poppins Returns was like out of my <laughs> a horror movie sick dream. Yeah, it was terrible. So anyway. I'm in. I'm in for TIFF. I'm in for these new ads, and I'm excited that they're coming out this fall because you always get these movies that are hyped up for a while or that you hear of for right. a while, and you know, you're know you not sure if they're going to be like the, the current war mm-hmm. and get buried for two years and get pushed to the spring or whatever, or if they're going to come out in the middle of Oscar season. It would be hilarious if the current war does contend for something this yeah. year, though. But Aeronauts is, is coming out soon. Speaking of movies that are, are hitting the film festival circuit soon, Blackbird is opening the San Sebastian Film Festival, Michael. Yeah, this is uh, Susan Sarandon picture. This is a remake of a 2014 Danish film, which was done by South African director Roger Mitchell, who did Notting Hill, a very famously English movie. So <laughs> is that enough nationalities for one sentence? Well, it's opening this festival that had A Star is Born, Roma, Black Klansman, Shoplifters, Mirai, First Man, and Capernaum. That's seven Oscar noms, some of them win- winners, at the festival last year. 
So we would think of this as a smaller festival, not on the radar, so to speak, as and comparable to some of the others, but it's really not. It, it, it attracts Oscar movies all the time. Yeah, and to that extent, Penelope Cruz is getting a Lifetime Achievement Award from them this year, so she yeah, will perfect. show up. Next story, and it's a big one, Mike. Yeah, this, is just, this is a bad week. The Writers Guild is in crisis. There was a Variety.com article. The leaders are accused of vitriol. A lot going on here. Kind of walk us through it a little bit. Yeah, so I, I thought it was important to know what's going on. The distrust and dissension going on in the WGA really comes from this falling out the WGA is having with the Association of Talent Agencies, which is a big falling out that happened in April. We had this uh, WGA story last week where mm-hmm. we kind of just hemmed and hawed our way through it. But here's really the backstory of it for those of you that may not be in the know like we weren't. Uh, basically, this whole falling out has to do between the WGA and the Association of Talent Agencies, the ATA, over the premise of packaging and affiliate producing. So essentially, the WGA has accused the ATA, which is a union of talent agencies, including the Big Four, William Morris, Creative Artists, ICM, and mm. United Talents. They represent a vast majority of a who's who in Hollywood, both in front of and behind the camera. The WGA said the ATA has put the financial concerns of themselves essentially saying that their agents care more about the agents making money and the agency making money more so than they care about the client making money. For So for a complete breakdown of what packaging and affiliate producing is, I really urge everyone to read Jordan Cruciola's, I'm sorry if I said that wrong, Vulture article from this past April. But in short, the ATA is heavily invested in packaging in order to put shows and films together, which is the practice of selling their clients... Basically, if they have an a writer, they'll package them with also an actor they represent, and that will be the package for the show they will sell to the studio. They package those together in exchange for a percentage of the licensing fee, uh, some deferred profits, and a 10% cut of profits the show makes in perpetuity. The problem is, all of that money goes to the agents. Mm-hmm. None of it goes to the actual writer, actor, talent, etc. That's not good. So the WGA has, it wouldn't be a problem except that the WGA has noticed that writer's salaries, the median writer's salary has gone down almost 25% between 2014 and 2016. So Mm -hmm. people are losing money, especially on the lower end in Hollywood. And they're accusing the ATA essentially of putting their financial interests ahead of the agent's fiduciary duty. That's a legal term. What fiduciary duty means is essentially why you hire a lawyer in the first place. You hire that lawyer to listen to your concerns and put your concerns and desires in front of, let's say, their own personal concerns. Well, essentially, the WGA is saying you are breaching your fiduciary duty, ATA, and we can no longer stand for that. So in April, the collective bargaining agreement between the WGA and ATA fell apart. Uh-huh. And they have not gone back to negotiate that. And they've basically been working without one. A lot of writers have been basically getting their own jobs without their agents. They want to go back to the way it, the old days were, where you just pay your agent a fixed commission right. if you're a talent. The agents are very heavily invested in these packaging ideas and the affiliate producing ideas, which is affiliate producers has been the agents have taken a percentage of smaller production companies and basically become not only the representation for their clients, but also their employers, which is a huge red flag because there's a conflict of interest if you're supposed to be not only representing their best interests, but also essentially their bosses. 
So it's more than just a brass tax issue where they're one per, one side is saying 17 and the other side is saying 10. Huge. And and Vastly is, different. No, they're trying to change the system is it, how I read it as well. It's something that hasn't been addressed since 1976, which is the last time that collective bargaining agreement was uh, between the two sides. Where this Variety article that Mike started the, this whole section off with comes into play is that now the WGA, this kind of... It's not a strike, but this falling out from the ATA only works if all the WGA members are on board and fire their agents, which a majority of them have done reportedly, Mm -hmm. because the WGA represents some 20,000 people. So it's obviously some dissension is going to pop up. That's what this Variety article focuses on. Zoe Kazan's father, who is a a member of the WGA and a screenwriter himself, has said that there's a fraction of the WGA that disagrees with how the WGA head has handled these interactions with the ATA. They don't like taking this hardline approach because what the WGA has done has said, listen, we have to ratify this. we got to do away with packaging or do something radically the equivalent or we can't work together anymore. And... Zoe Kazan's father has said, look, that's a little too hardline for some of us. We don't want that. So this Variety article is basically focusing on not only the dissension within the WGA when it comes to that, but also it's highlighting that the WGA has some bigger collective bargaining issues coming up. Namely, they renegotiate their pact. I know this is long, boring legal contractual terms, but they renegotiate their pact with the AMPTP, the American Movie and Television Producers Association, essentially. Okay. They renegotiate that pact, that CBA, which gets writers in the door to write for television and movies, which is what their job is, every three years. And that contract, that collective bargaining agreement, expires May 1st of 2020. So there's all this dissension between the WGA and the ATA, but it's also got a ticking clock on it between the WGA and the AMPTP, which could lead to what we saw with the writer strike that happened in 2007, I want to say, uh, when I was in college, when the writers just refused to work because they didn't have an agreement. So even if there is some kind of resolution with the talent agencies, it, it we're still heading for another storm with the producers. Potentially. We don't know. I mean, that's going to be remain to be seen because they have to get that, if they want a new collective bargaining agreement between the producer side and the writer side, they have the time to get that done, but they got to get it done before this one expires. And they do it every three years. So there is a history for those two sides working together. The question is going to come into play with, do the producers just trust the writers to represent themselves and have their own best interests at heart, as opposed to usually having worked through the managers and the agents of these writers? Yeah. So if the agents are unhappy or just plain not doing business with their talent anymore, where do they come into play between this union of writer side and producer side now? It's really a, quite a fascinating moment between this kind of triumvirate of how things get done in Hollywood behind the scenes. Wow. And it's it's going to come to a head at some point because if there's not, you know, if there's not peace in the valley or in the kingdom, there's mm. unrest and there seems to be some murmuring unrest amongst the what should be just a you know, a, a once in a century type thing. They really, they don't, the ATA and the WGA don't negotiate all that often. They don't renegotiate. They don't change their terms. And then on top of all of this, as if they don't butt their heads and change the culture enough in other ways, there's the whole streaming aspect that comes into play, which has changed the way that business is done as well. So there's a lot of moving parts here that could turn into a disaster on a lot of ends uh, and a lot of fronts as far as television shows and movies. It sure as hell seems like it, Mike. My God. So we do have some sadder news, if that is possible, but it is possible here. <laughs> yes, it is. Now, all this has been sad news, the sky is falling news, but we, you know, we have to say rest in peace to Peter Fonda, Easy Rider, 
Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, The Cannonball Run, Yuli's Gold, a great performance, even though he was wearing a mask of uh, humanity in that. Like the BAFTA mask he was basically wearing. Yeah, you weren't a fan of that mask. You've said that. He's good in it, but Easy Rider, he's known for that. The Limey, Wild Hogs, 310 to Yuma. Uh, he's completed Magic Hours, and he's going to be in The Last Full Measure, which you know has been an Oscar-adjacent property that we talked about in our Netflix Oscar push, basically profiling all the Netflix films that are going to come out this fall. Mike, is sad news for Peter Fonda. Of course it is. Yeah, two-time Oscar nominee. That's why we, we put him here and just paying our respects and saying goodbye. One of the rare people who was able to score those nominees across many decades passing in between. He mm-hmm. landed an original screenplay nominee in 1974, Easy Rider, uh, and then he landed like you said, for Uli's Gold, he was a Best Actor nominee in 1998 when that came out. Uh, he might have actually been responsible for Leo not landing an Academy Award True. nomination for Titanic from that year. Uh, people may have thought that Peter Fonda was the number five in that list of five that year as far as the nominees go. But yeah, like we say, always a great loss. He was a great loss and a great talent behind and in front of the camera as well. Richard Williams also sadly passed on. He's a two-time Oscar winner himself. This just happened right before we hit record today that we uh, this came across the newswire. We heard about it. Passing away at the age of 86 he's an animator he's a two-time oscar winner he also won uh for he won a special award hmm. for his work in i'm just Who learning Fr- of this now yeah. i was on route i think uh, yeah I, I wrote that i just added this in but he won a special award at the same oscar he won best visual effects he also won a special award for his work in animating the cartoon characters of who framed roger rabbit oh, and that's, that's what sad. he's best known for uh did win an animated short oscar in 1973 as well and was nominated for another animated short oscar in 2016 so you got two guys in the industry that both have very recent work that have been there for a long time and great losses to each of them for sure i, I do get excited i feel like it's a purist who keeps making short films like Luca Guadagnino is, it makes short films like in between his feature films, and uh, I'm not familiar with uh, his work other than Who Framed Roger Rabbit. For yeah, Richard it's definitely what he's best known for. But he feels like a pro's pro. He feels like one of those purists, those artists who would just make the short films. They keep getting nominated for the short yeah. films and continue to experiment. So forgive me, I don't know much as enough about him, but that's uh, sad news for sure. We can finish on a little bit higher of a note here because Amazon just bought the rights to Blow the Man Down. This was the best screenplay winner at the Tribeca Film Festival. Mike, it's news because we have been wondering, and maybe we'll do a mini-sode on this at some point or an article or whatever. We were, we've been wondering what Amazon's Oscar push is going to be. Yeah. We have Scott C. Burns' The Report, the Adam Driver yep. and uh, Annette Benning film. We have Honey Boy with Shia LaBeouf. We have the Goldfinch, but we've been kind of down on the Goldfinch mm-hmm. in the last few months since that first trailer was pretty good. This could be something. We don't know, but it could be something because you got three-time Emmy winner Margot Martindale. You got Oscar nominee June Squibb in this. Yeah, here's what I know about this. Margot Martindale's in it. I mean, something awful is going to happen to a lot of characters in this movie. <laughs> Lately, she's been doing that. She people. is the harbinger of things to come, of just bad news when it comes to her playing. She's a fantastic. This, fantastic. this is not fan- a phenomenal actress. Even when she's parodied on like Family Guy, <laughs> shit goes down. But she is the harbinger of bad news, uh, certainly character wise. But you're right; it's going to be interesting to see, and that's part of the reason, like we always say each week now, that we're doing this. Oscar race checkpoint weekly is that we want to see where these streaming studios stand as far as their Oscar pushes and as far as where they stand in the industry at large the mayhem they're causing not only behind the scenes uh, with as far as the awards races go but also like we just talked about with their interjects 
Johnson and screwing things up for the WGA, the ATA, the AMPTZQA, XY. Yeah, there was a lot of acronyms there. I kind of went dead <laughs> in the face. I know. That was for, I think I wrote that for me and one other lawyer who listens to this, maybe. <laughs> Otherwise, that was it. So those for those two people, here's what's coming up next on Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Acronyms, the rewatch series. Every acronym-based film, we are going to do a seven-part uh, acronym-based podcast series about. We're going to start with the A-Team and Scuba Steve. G.I. <laughs> Joe. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, yeah. the series. Yep, that will have a whole podcast there. episode about that. Well, I'm trying to think what else. Scar, isn't that a movie somewhere? Yeah, sure. SWAT was a movie. SWAT. Cool, Jay. Yeah, SWAT. Yeah. We're doing SWAT. We'll do SWAT. Yeah, but we'll think about the stuff when our brains aren't dead because Mike killed them with yeah, all the acronyms. This was a long one. This was a lot of arguing and a lot of fights. and a serious finale of it MMO. It started off happy about... <laughs> it went right downhill. Right downhill immediately. Guys, as always, want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about this and anything else we cover in the MMO Empire. You can reach out to us. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we're available everywhere. You hear podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud. That includes Apple Podcasts. I meant to write that at the beginning of the show so we wouldn't forget to ask at the beginning of the show this time. Yeah, but we, we need did. more ratings. But, yeah. We need uh, we need those five star ratings. If you can go go on your Apple Podcast, go on the podcast app, type in Mike, Mike and Oscar, click on our logo, yeah. scroll down a couple times, you'll see be able to give us a five star review. If you can click those five stars, those will really go a long really way. Do help. Really appreciate that, Michael. Aside from our acronym series, what is next? MMOW. We're recording that soon, and we're releasing that soon. We have the Caesar Romero Joker episode from the nineteen sixty six. Batman the movie. This is the Adam West series. My God, I've been watching some of this, Mike. It is in, is bonkers, and we are going to have a lot to say about it. Uh, if not a lot, we're going to have colorful things to say about it. Can't wait. It's absurd. Uh, we're going to do Ready or Not, and we'll have one more Oscar race checkpoint for you at the end of next week. So those are our four for next week. I'm excited about Ready or Not. It's, it's a cool-looking horror movie. Yeah, I, I'm excited they didn't pull it because nobody uh, made a big deal about it. But there's a firearm in it. I am not surprised because I am optimistic about human nature and about some big businesses love, and the movie industry. You love corporations. You want to marry a tall building in a single bound. I like Disney. I do. I like them. I like the movies they make overall. Shoot me. All right, All right so. guys. Are you done? I'm That's sorry. my wisdom, I All guess. Right. I like Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, when reality is like you can come watch movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness, but apparently with a lot of yelling. Uh, we will see you all next time. See you.